This morning we are beginning uh, an eight-week series on the Sermon on the Mount. You can find the Sermon on the Mount in your Bible in Matthew 5 through 7 on page 1501 in your pew Bibles. The Sermon on the Mount is the uh, largest uh, preserved writing and teaching that we have of Jesus. There's no doubt he did a, a whole lot more teaching and a, a lot, maybe a lot longer teaching, but this is one that's been preserved uh, for us. And about the third century, a man by the name of St. Augustine referred to this as the Sermon on the Mount. And, well, it stuck, and we still call it the Sermon on the Mount today. Uh, and we're going to be taking a look at this, and we're going to be studying through the Sermon on the Mount. If you notice in Matthew 5, as I set this up contextually, Matthew 5, verse 1 says, Now when Jesus saw the crowds, he went up on a mountainside. Thus the name, Sermon on the Mount, right? He went up on a mountainside. This mountainside in the land of Israel is located on the Sea of Galilee between the towns of Capernaum and Tabca is where it's located. It's on the north, uh, north uh, west side, northwest side of the, the lake there. And it's on a mount that used to be called Mount Eremos. Mount Eremos is 85 feet below sea level. So that's one of the lowest summits of any kind of mountain that uh, exists. And uh, to be honest, it's probably more like a hillside. But on this hillside, there is a great expanse of land and place for people to, to sit and for people to hang out. In fact, when the Pope was going to visit Israel uh, in, in the 2001 era, I think it was, they were making plans for 100,000 people to sit in this area to listen to the Pope speak on what was called the Mount of the Beatitudes. And so this is the place where this takes place, on the mountainside. And it's interesting because the Sea of Galilee is a, uh, it's a bowl-shaped lake, a bowl-shaped sea, and so there's mountains all the way around. So depending on where the wind is blowing, depends on your acoustics. If the wind is blowing down from the top of the mountains down into the lake, if you're a teacher, you would sit at the top of the hill and put everybody below you, and the wind would carry your voice down into that basin. If the wind's blowing the other direction, across the lake and up the hill, you might want to sit in a boat on a lake and then let the voice be carried up the hill that way. And you'll notice in your teachings in the Bible that there are different times where Jesus, sometimes he's on a boat sitting on a lake, sometimes he's on the mountainside, and that's all because of the geography. Geography matters. That's why he's doing these things, for practical purposes. And so Jesus has gathered people here on this day. We read that he went up on the mountainside, and then notice what it says. He went up on the mountainside, and interestingly, it says he sat down. Now, I would ask myself, why did he sit down? If you're teaching people, right? Because I, I just decided I'm going to teach you guys this morning, and what I did is I stood up. I came and stood and teach, and that's what we're used to. Teachers stand in front of us. But that's not the case in the Bible. In the, in the context, in the, in the synagogues, in the teaching of the day, they would stand and read God's word, to stand and read God's word, because that was holy. That was the revered word of God. And then as a rabbi, they would sit. And they would sit to do the teaching. To say, this is what my interpretation of it is. And so Jesus here is assuming the posture of a rabbi, of a teacher. And he's sitting, and then those gather around him to listen to what this teacher has to say. It was a position of authority. Here it is. I'm going to tell you what 
uh, I want to say and how I want to interpret God's word. And so we see that Jesus came and he sat down. And the, the next thing that we notice here contextually is it says his disciples came to him. That's interesting for us. His disciples came to him. So if we ask ourselves, we're going to be reading a lot of red-letter words, at least in my Bible, it's the next three chapters are all red-letter words, which means these are words of Jesus Christ. And so Jesus is teaching who? He's teaching his disciples. That tells me something, that these are words for people who follow Jesus Christ. These are these are words Jesus says, you now have chosen to follow me. I, I told you to repent, to turn around and follow me because we're, we're bringing the kingdom of God to the world. And if you are one who is following me, bringing the kingdom of God into the world, these words are for you. This is what a follower, one who follows me in bringing the life of the kingdom of God into the world, this is what they look like. This is what they do. This is how they act. This is what their character is. And so these are not words for evangelism. These are not words for outreach. These are words for Christ followers. Jesus wasn't trying to win people to the kingdom. Jesus is saying, you are in the kingdom. You are my disciples. Now this is what the new life that I bring to you looks like in and through you. And so if you are here this morning, and you say, that's me, I'm a follower of Jesus Christ, then you know what? These red letters apply to you. They apply to you. And as we listen to what Jesus is saying here in the Sermon on the Mount, we have to ask ourselves, I say that I'm a follower of Jesus Christ. He now is describing what a follower looks like. He's not giving us a moral list. He's not giving us a legalistic list saying, try to achieve this. He's saying, no, this is who you are. If you follow me, this is who you are. And so it almost becomes a little gut check for us. We listen to these words. We say, yeah, I'm a follower of Jesus Christ. And we go, hmm, am I really? Because I just heard Jesus say, this is what a follower looks like. And that's the posture that we need to take as we let the Sermon on the Mount, we let these words come into our heart and mind and soul. And, and like good soil, we want to let these words change us. And we want to let these words develop us so that we become more Christ-like in our character. Now I'm going to ask you to put your Bible away. So you can just put your Bible away, and uh, you may shut it down for a little bit. Because this morning we're going to hear the words of the Sermon on the Mount. We're going to take you to a mountain, a mount on a hill in Walker. And you are going to be the people that get to listen to the Sermon on the Mount and take these in this morning. And so I say to you, as people who are gathering before the teacher this morning, he who has ears to hear, let them hear.
Jesus went up on the mountainside, he began to teach his disciples, and he said to them, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. Blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called children of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when people insult you, persecute you, and say all types of evil against you because of me. Rejoice and be glad, for great is your reward in heaven. For in the same way they persecuted the prophets who were before you. You are the salt of the world, but what good is salt if it has lost its saltiness? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown away and trampled underfoot. You are the light of the world. A town built on a hill cannot be hidden. Neither do people light a lamp and place it under a bowl. Instead, it's placed on its stand where everyone in the house can see it. In the same way, let your light shine before others that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. Do not think that I have come to abolish the law and the prophets. I did not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. Truly I tell you, truly I tell you, until heaven and earth disappear, not the smallest letter or the least stroke of the pen will by any means disappear from the law until everything is accomplished. Therefore, anyone who sets aside the practice, therefore anyone who sets aside the practice of these teachings Therefore, anyone who sets aside the practice of these commands and teaching and teaches others accordingly will be called least in the kingdom of heaven. But whoever practices and teaches these commands will be called great in the kingdom of heaven. For I tell you, unless your righteousness surpasses that of the Pharisees and the teachers of the law, you will certainly not enter the kingdom of heaven. You've heard it's, you have heard it said to the people long ago, you shall not murder. Murders will be um, subject to judgment. But I tell you that 
Even if you are angry with a brother or sister, you will be subject to judgment. Again, I tell you, if a brother and a sister, if one says to a brother or sister, <clears throat> Raka, you will be answerable to the courts. And if one says, you fool, you will be in danger of the fire of hell. Therefore, if you, are, if you are offering a gift on the altar and you remember that one of your brothers or sisters has something against you, leave your gift at the altar. First, go and reconcile yourself to them. Then, give your gift. Settle matters quickly with your brother who is taking you to court. For if your adversary... Oh. Do it quickly while you are still together on the way. For your adversary may hand you over to a judge, a judge may hand you over to an officer, and you may be thrown in prison. Truly, I tell you, you will not get out until you have paid the final penny. You have heard that it was said, you shall not commit adultery. But I tell you that anyone who looks at another woman lustfully has already committed adultery with her in his heart. If your right eye causes you to stumble, gouge it out and throw it away. It's better to lose one part than for your whole body to go into hell. And if your right hand causes you to sin, cut it off and throw it away. It's better to lose one part than for your whole body to go into hell. It has been said, anyone who divorces his wife must give her a certificate of divorce. But I tell you, anyone who divorces his wife, except for sexual immorality, makes her the victim of adultery. And anyone who marries a divorced woman also commits adultery. Again, you have heard it said to the people long ago, do not break your oaths, but fulfill to the Lord the vows you have taken. But I tell you, do not swear an oath at all, either by heaven, for it is God's foot uh, throne, by earth, for it is his footstool, or by Jerusalem, for it is the city of the great king. And do not swear by your own head, for you cannot make one hair white or black. All you need to say is simply yes or no. Anything beyond this comes from the evil one. You have heard that it was said, an eye for an eye and tooth for a tooth. But I tell you, do not resist an evil person. If anyone slaps you on the right cheek, turn to him the other cheek also. And if anyone wants to sue you and take your shirt, give to him your coat as well. And if anyone forces you to go with him one mile, go with him two miles. Give to the one who asks of you, and do not turn away from the one who wants to borrow from you. You have heard that it was said, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I tell you, love your enemy and love and pray for those who persecute you, that you may be children of your Father in heaven. For he causes his son to rise on the evil and the good and his reigns to fall on the righteous and the unrighteous. Therefore, 
if you only love those who love you, what reward will you get? Do not even the tax collectors do that? And if you only greet those who you know, what more are you doing than others? Do not even the pagans do that? Be perfect, therefore, as your Father in heaven is perfect. Be careful not to practice your righteousness in front of others to be seen by them. If you do, you will have no reward from your Father in heaven. So when you give to the needy, do not announce it with trumpets in the synagogues and the streets as the hypocrites do. But when you give to the needy, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing so that your giving may be done in secret. Then when your Father sees what is done in secret, will reward you. And when you pray, do not be like the hypocrites, for they love to pray standing in the synagogues and on the street corners to be seen by others. Truly, I tell you, they have received their reward in full. But when you pray, go into your room, close the door, and pray to your Father who is unseen. Then your Father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. And when you pray, do not keep on babbling like pagans, for they think they'll be heard for their many words. Do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask him. This, then, is how you should pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. For if you forgive others when they sin against you, your Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their sins, your Father will not forgive your sins. When you fast, do not look somber as the hypocrites do, for they disfigure their faces to show others that they are fasting. Truly, I tell you, they have received their reward in full. But when you fast, pour oil over your head and wash your face, so it is not obvious to others that you are fasting, only to your Father who is unseen. And your Father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. Do not store up for yourself treasures on earth, where moth and vermin destroy, and thieves break in and steal. But store up for yourself treasures in heaven, where moth and vermin do not destroy, and thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasures are, there your heart will also be. The eyes are the lamp to the whole body. If your eyes are healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eyes are unhealthy, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light within you is darkness, how great is that darkness? You cannot serve two masters. Either you will love one and hate the other, or you will despise one and serve the other. You cannot serve both God and money. Therefore, I tell you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat or drink, or about your body, what you will wear. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothes? Look at the birds of the air. They do not sow or reap or store away in barns, yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not much more valuable than they? 
Can any one of you, by worrying, add a single hour to your life? And why do you worry about clothes? See how the flowers of the field grow. They do not labor or spin. Yet I tell you, not even Solomon in all his splendor was dressed like one of these. If that is how God clothes the grass of the field, which is here today and tomorrow, is thrown into the fire, will he not much more clothe you, you of little faith? So do not worry, saying, what will we eat, or what will we drink, or what will we wear? For your heavenly Father knows, for the, for the pagans run after all these things. So do, do not For the pagans run after all these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them. But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. Therefore, do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. Mm -hmm. Do not judge, or you too will be judged. Do not judge others or you will be judged. And the way that you judge others will be the measure that is used against you. Why do you comment on the speck of sawdust in your brother's eye, all the while ignoring the plank in your own eye? How can you say to your brother, let me remove that speck of sawdust, when you cannot see clearly because of the plank in your eye? You hypocrite, remove the plank out of your own eye first, in order to help your brother remove the sawdust out of his eye. Do not give what is sacred to dogs. Do not give pearls to pigs, or they may trample them and tear you to pieces. Ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and the door will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives, the one who seeks finds, and to the one who knocks, the door will be opened. Which of you, if his son asks for bread, would give him a stone? Or if he asks for fish, would give him a snake? If you then, though you are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give good gifts to those who ask him? So in everything, do to others as you would have them do to you. For this sums up the law and the prophets. Enter through the narrow gate, for wide is the gate, and broad is the road that leads to destruction. But small is the gate, and narrow the road that leads to life, and only a few will find it. Watch out for false prophets. They come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly they are like ferocious wolves. You will be able to recognize them by their fruit. Do people pick grapes from a thorn bush or figs from a thistle? Likewise, a good tree cannot bear bad fruit, and a bad tree cannot bear good fruit. A, a good tree bears good fruit, and a bad tree bears bad fruit. Any tree that bears bad fruit 
will be cut down and thrown into the fire. Thus, you will be able to tell them by their fruit. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will inherit the kingdom of heaven, but only those who do the will of your Father in heaven. On that day, some will come to me and they say, well, well, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name? And in your name, did we not perform miracles? And in your name, did we not cast out demons? And I will tell them plainly, away from me, you evildoers. Therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice is like the wise man who built his house upon the rock. The rains came down, the streams rose, and the wind blew and beat against that house. Yet it did not fall, because it had its foundation on the rock. But those of you who hear these words of mine and do not put them into practice is like the foolish man who built his house upon the sand. The rains came down, the streams rose, and the wind blew and beat against that house, and it fell with a great crash. When Jesus had finished saying these things, the crowds were amazed at his teachings, because he taught as one who had authority and not as their teachers of the law. Sermon on the Mount. I want to thank all of those who uh, were willing to step up and uh, memorize uh, parts of the Sermon on the Mount uh, this morning. We hope to say it, do it again at the end of this series. I know some who are here this morning are not able to be with us uh, then, but I, so I want to challenge uh, the rest of our church family that maybe there are some out here that would be willing to learn part of the Sermon on the Mount and join us uh, in February, uh, February 23, when we do the Sermon on the Mount again. So if you would be willing to memorize some of that and uh, want to participate, please talk to me or Pastor Kathy or Pastor Laura, and we'll make sure that uh, we include you in that. Because it is a rich experience, right? Because God's Word, it tells us to hide God's Word in our hearts, right? And His Word becomes a lamp to our feet and a light to our path. And I know that everybody who has learned and memorized these words this morning, now it's a part of them. And that's what they live by. And that was really Jesus' intent for us when he gave us these words. I also want to encourage you during these eight weeks is maybe to make this the matter of your devotional time. I know leading up to this series, all I've been doing is just reading through the Sermon on the Mount over and over and over again. And I can tell you that's a rich experience and you will glean so much from it. We're going to be challenged to just uh, talk about this over the next eight weeks. We probably could talk an entire year on this, 
but because we're, uh, you have such incredible teachers here at this church, we'll be able to get through it in eight weeks. Just want to put that out there. So take a look at the Sermon on the Mount. And I hope that as you listen to it, uh, you realize that what Jesus is talking about here is a heart issue. Right? This is a, this is a heart issue. If you come at the Sermon on the Mount, like a lot of people in our world will do, who just see Jesus as a great teacher, and they say, oh, here's the teachings of Jesus, and here's his rule in uh, Matthew 5, and what he says in the law, and in Matthew 6, and what he says in 7, and they give all these rules, and, and make it moralistic and legalistic, you're going to fail. These are going to be just, just three chapters of pure failure, and pure uh, just hopelessness. Because you're going to be like, oh my goodness, there's no way that I can ever live up to that. And that is exactly right. Because as long as we are in the world and people of the world, we cannot live into the righteousness that Jesus expects from us. The righteousness that Jesus is looking for in his followers. We can't do it. The only way that we can do this is to have a changed heart a changed heart. And that's what he gives us here. If your heart has been changed and you've gone from living by the ways of the world to living by the ways of Jesus Christ, this will be you. This is what you will look like. This is what you will act like. This is for you. And so I just want to encourage you to just really consider over these next eight weeks, where is my heart? Is my heart in the world or is my heart with Jesus? Because I think he just said that I cannot serve two masters. I will love one and I will despise the other. I'll be devoted to one, but I will, I will hate the other. And so we gotta decide, are we for Jesus or are we against him? Are we gonna walk with him? Or are we gonna walk in the world? Because we can't keep one foot in the world and one foot with Jesus. We're either following him all out or we're not following him at all. There are no half followers of Jesus Christ. He's looking for fully devoted followers, and this is what he, he gives us here. Now, Pastor Ray Fowler said you cannot live the Sermon on the Mount without Jesus, but he also said in a statement that I read, he says you can't live the Sermon on the Mount without God's grace and without God's mercy because those were some pretty high standards, right? And I don't know about you, I, I look at my life and wow, there were things that Jesus said that I sit here and go, God, I have fallen short of your glory. I've fallen short of your expectations. But the good news is that we have a God who gives us grace. And what he's looking for again is a heart. My heart immediately recognizes Jesus says it. I recognize, no, that's not who I am. As a Christ follower, that's who I want to be. And so I make the adjustment to repent, to turn, to walk as Jesus Christ. That's the pattern of our life. We listen to the words of God. We let them shine into our life. They expose the sin. They expose the world. They expose the way that we're walking against Jesus Christ. And soon as it exposes that, because I have the spirit of Jesus in me, I recognize it and instantly I confess it. And God, who is rich in mercy, he gives me his grace and love. And he, 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 he forgives me of those sins. And I can then continue to walk in the ways of Jesus Christ. And so we come at this with a lot of mercy. And I just want to encourage you in this new year to really just make this your heartbeat and say, Jesus, I want this sermon to be my life. I want this to be me. I don't want to have any part of the, the world in me, Jesus. I want to have all of you in me, Jesus. That's what I, I want. So Jesus, will you come fill me, Jesus? 
Will you set my heart on fire, Jesus? Will you ignite my passion for living for your purposes, Jesus? Will you come and do that in this new year? And that's my prayer for this congregation, that we get to the end of 2020 and we find that we have grown in, in our Christ-likeness and we have begun to live into this more fully because we're devoted followers of Jesus Christ. That's my prayer for you, and I hope that will be our prayer together. As we close, I want to pray for us, and then I just want to give us a chance to, to sing uh, and pour out our hearts to Jesus as the last song continues in prayer, just asking Jesus, come more in me, fill me more, set me on fire, Jesus, and make that our New Year's prayer together.